Hi, uh, what is going on, team? Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by my man, Chaz, or I'm joining Chaz, depending on whose podcast you were listening to, hopefully mine. Um, <laughs> what's going on, dude? How you doing, man? Good, bro. I feel like it's been forever since we've done this. Has it only been a month? I think so. We did it last month, I believe, right at the first of March, if I can remember right. I'm pretty sure we put out a podcast, because that's right when I started coming back and recording again, because I took a little okay. bit of time off. And then okay. I think it was like that first or second week of coming back that we started recording again. Okay. Okay, cool. How has it been for you getting back into podcasting? It's been good, dude. I've actually really enjoyed it. Like I talked about for a while when I got start or when I was, when I decided to stop podcasting for a while was because I feel like the episodes were just starting to get a little bit monotonous and I wasn't finding myself as excited to record. And I feel like when you're not as excited to do something that rubs off on to like the actual show and the, the emotion and the feeling of the, the energy inside of the show. Right. And I just felt like that was starting to come down a little bit. And so I felt like I was at a position where I needed to deload and just get rid of it for a while. Because usually when you'll take something like that away, it's not that I didn't enjoy doing it. Or I don't like doing it. Right. I just needed a break from it so that I could come back, like taking one step back to be able to continue taking more steps forward, just like you would do with your nutrition or just like you would do with your training. I've, I've had that conversation a lot too, right? We always use that in terms of training nutrition, but the rest of our life needs deloads too. And I knew I was at that point mentally with the podcast. So it took a couple of weeks or a couple months really off now that I'm back doing it. Like I recorded one this morning before we hopped on and just really enjoyed it. Like I've created structure to the shows and I'm trying to talk more about the stuff that really fires me up. Like I love training. I love nutrition. I love the science of it. Um, but at the end of the day, what I, I like the mindset side of things too. Right. And I, I feel like that's where for me, that's what I get excited to talk about. And honestly, that's what I feel like most people, at least in the brand that I've built with lost and lifting and the clients that I attract and that I work with, that's what's stopping most of them is allowing like your emotions to get in front of your actions or, or creating the right mindset that's going to actually allow the science of training and nutrition to play itself out and actually work. And so I've started to transition to more of those types of episodes and have really enjoyed it. It's fired me up. So I'm, I'm stoked to be back doing it. Good, dude. I'm glad to hear that. And you can, even in like your client check-ins, you can see like the little clips you post of like your client check-ins, you can see exactly what you're talking about. there. like you helping them so much with the mindset and them talking about like the mental wins. It is very cool to see like how good of a job you and Alex seem to do with like making that, like helping people bridge that gap, so to speak, or like cultivate more of a growth mindset or get it in like a better place emotionally to be able to deal with all the hardship that comes with transforming. Exactly. Yeah. Like I talk about that so often is you can't transform physically until you start working on yourself mentally. Right. right. And that's where most people are hung up. Like those who have been yo-yo dieting for years, those who don't truly believe that they can create a result or those who start creating a result. But then when shit gets hard and you get to a point where you plateau or you get to a point where you're not losing as much weight or it's just starting to get inconvenient. How do you respond at that time? Right. And right. that's where a lot of people end up giving up and throwing in the talent and saying, oh, my metabolism shit or, oh, my hormones don't work or, oh, it's this or it's that. Instead of realizing that, no, that is the process. Creating right. success in your life or getting to places that you want to be is going to come from you doing the hard shit that not everybody else wants to do. And so if you're really serious about achieving those goals, you have to set that expectation before you begin that it's going to be hard and it's not going to be easy. And you can't just go keto and lose 20 pounds in, in four weeks, or you can't follow a detox and lose all the weight, or you can't take a, uh, put on an ab bell and, and get a six pack or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like you have to strip away all of that bullshit that's all over social media 
and give people the correct expectation. And when somebody has the right expectation going into their journey, well, now they're in a situation to where they can deal with that hardship because they expect it to come. But if you don't expect it to happen, then you're in a situation when it does happen, you're like, oh, screw this. Like, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't my expectation going into this. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, like I would almost say that's kind of my specialty in a way, or at least what I'm passionate about and where I like to, to help people from. So I appreciate the kind words, man. That's awesome. Absolutely, dude. No, for sure. Um, so we have some overrated, underrated today, correct? Yeah, we're hopping on the trend. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought this up, dude, because I was meaning to say we should do something like this. And I didn't, um, so I just like, hit you up last minute for this recording, but you already even have a list of questions. So you're super on top of it regardless. So that worked out pretty well. Yeah. I, um, so I was planning on doing this podcast, honestly, like I was planning on doing an overrated underrated. And then you hit me up yesterday. Hey, you want to record? It's like, oh, perfect. Well, we'll just bring it on here. Cause it'll be much more entertaining to listen to both of our perspectives on it rather than me just sitting on a show by myself anyway. So, so yeah, I'm super excited about it. And it's been like a, uh, thing lately to do the overrated, overrated, underrated. I feel like Jordan Syatt was maybe the, I saw, I saw, at least I was the, he was the first person that I saw doing it on Instagram. And then from there, I saw a bunch of other people doing it. It could have been somebody else that did it first, but um, shout out to him. Cause I think, I think that he started the trend, but I don't know. He starts so many, it's crazy to see, at least that's from what I can see as well. He does seem to be like the one that starts so many trends, like the trend of like, dudes like dressing as women that are like mm-hmm. <laughs> basic bitch of fitness and like just saying some dumb shit like he started that didn't he yeah i he was the first again he was the first person that i saw do it i think i saw him doing it on youtube um and then like you saw guys coming over onto instagram and doing the same thing yeah we're actually doing videos like that next too you are <laughs> i was gonna say i would love to see that but but no um yeah shout out to honestly shout out to Jordan, like my whole, he was for me, like, I feel like most trainers and nutrition coaches have that one person that like was kind of their inspiration and where they kind of tailor their business off of from the star as you're kind of finding your voice and everything. You know what I mean? He was kind of like that North star for me in a way to where I really started from and, um, like built inspiration and, and kind of wanted to to create my business off of the same idea of how he, his business was, which kind of makes sense, right? Cause he comes at like nutrition and, and training for more of that emotional aspect as well in a lot of different ways. So, right. so yeah, I can definitely see that. Huh? That's interesting. Yeah. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's get it. All right, cool. So, um, like Jeremiah said, we're going to do under or overrated, underrated. And I have six different topics here that we'll hop into. So the first one is fasting is fasting overrated or underrated overrated uh, i would agree I, I would say overrated um again these are all going to come with context and i feel like we'll get into the contextual situation of it but like very generic answer at where the fitness industry stands today i would say that fasting is definitely overrated and too many people try to do it i know i was under the misconception for a long time that fasting was optimal for fat loss. Um, and it was something that was going to help you be able to create results faster. But at the end of the day, fasting is just a way for you to cut down your eating window that can allow you to be able to eat more calories within a shorter time frame, which for some people can help you be able to 
adhere to your caloric intake a little bit more consistently. And I did it for a long time, but what I started to find was that I would suffer through the mornings just to fast to be able to allow myself to be able to eat more food from like 12 to seven o'clock, 12 PM to 7 PM at night. But I would go through the morning with a lot of anxiety. I'd be really hungry. I would be kind of like jittery um, just so that I could have more from 12 to seven. But what I ended up finding was, like I said, like I was more ornery and it affected my mood early in the day. I was a lot more, my temper was higher, if that makes sense. And so as I stopped doing it, I realized that sacrificing the morning, just be able to eat from 12 to seven wasn't really worth it in my right. situation. Like if I would just eat a little bit more in the morning, I would feel better. Um, have some carbs, like my stress would go down. My anxieties would go down. I'd have a better morning. And then I wasn't starving at nighttime just because I had to use some of those calories in the morning. Like it didn't affect me as much negatively to eat more in the morning than it was affecting me to not eat in the morning. If that makes sense. I think a lot of people have that misconception that it's better or it's better to fit your food into a shorter time period because you're going to be able to be fuller, but you have to think about how is it affecting your mood while you're actually fasting. And if you can get away with it and you feel good, then go ahead. But if like you're shaky and you're craving food and like you're only thinking about that meal that's coming up, I would definitely say that it's overrated. So in my situation, that's, that's my opinion. I would almost say it's, it was overrated for so long that it's now become underrated because exactly like what you're saying. Like I know like the first diet that I followed was like anabolic fasting where <laughs> it was supposed to be like, um, all these anabolic benefits from like, like when you fast, there's a spike in growth hormone. And so this is going to help you get more jacked, but also you're going to stay leaner and like all this stuff. When in reality, it's like the spike in growth hormone, is just enough to compensate for the decrease in all these other anabolic hormones. So basically like your body can maintain homeostasis through a short fasted period. Right. Um, and yeah, like all these other magical benefits of fasting that like don't really pan out. And then even like the health benefits, like the purported health benefits, most people don't understand that with like a 16 hour fast, like, Hey, I didn't eat from eight last night till noon today. So I'm super healthy and like autophagy and all this stuff is happening when it's really like one, your body does a lot of those things automatically. And two, it's like after a 24 hour fast is when we start to really like see health benefits, which most people don't actually do like a 24 hour fast. But then I feel like the fitness industry and also like, this is pretty niche, right. To like, uh, like the like stronger by science or like mental Henselman's or like mm -hmm. the people that we follow isn't necessarily like, like I'm not super deep into like, Hey, to, what does like, uh, I'm trying to think like Huffington post say about fasting. You know what I mean? But like, and I think in like the super evidence-based population, then like, because of all that, there's been such a strong pushback against fasting that then it's like, fasting fucking stupid like why would anyone do, do this when it's then it is like okay it is a useful adherence tool right like as you said if you feel okay a lot of our a lot of clients um no i shouldn't say a lot but like some clients like hey i really enjoy this big meal with my family in the evenings most days and rather than like just trying to like and like hey my i don't train in the mornings or like my number one goal is just to get leaner right Re like a relatively like hey i just want to look good feel good um, be relatively lean. I don't care about like optimizing absolutely everything to get jacked, which admittedly is like less and less of our company's clients as time goes on. And so it also like, this is a tool I use less and less and less, but like still, I feel like it's something that's valuable in a situation like that, where it's like, 
hey, like you like to eat these big meals with your families in the evenings. You guys go out to eat more often than not, and you've like identified that as something that's super important to you. Okay, let's just not eat in the morning, right? And then we can have, but again, I think it's, so that's like coming from there. I'm going to change my answer one more time and say as a whole, it's probably <laughs> <still> overrated, <laughs> but, uh, and on the flip side too, like if we look at, well, last thing on that, um, like circadian eating, like Fanny Lennon has such good information on this. And on the podcast we did, I believe it was like, it has to be like a hundred episodes now, but um, he was talking about like, if you look at like how people traditionally fast is like, Hey, I don't eat until noon and then I eat later in the day. But it does seem from like the research they have on circadian eating, it is actually more optimal. Like people tend to burn more calories throughout the day. If they do eat more in the mornings, like mm-hmm. if they burn more of their calories earlier in the day, um, which makes sense. Like, Hey, I have a little bit more food in my system. So it, it's very similar to like, have you heard of carbohydrate rinsing? Like no. where they, okay. So basically like getting way off topic here, but basically like this is where they, um, studies where they like had people switch sugar solutions in their mouth and spit it out. But something about your body, like sensing that you had just taken in that energy because like, I guess you tasted it. <laughs> um, basically like the body sensed that I had taken in a bunch of carbohydrates and that like showed very like quick, not like a huge increase, but some increase in improvements on like what well, they did, like a leg press. I think they sprinted as well. Can't don't quote me on that listeners, but regardless, like it makes sense that, okay, this increase in energy intake would cause us to also output more energy. Right. Whereas like later in the day, it doesn't seem to be quite the same impact. Like if you burn more of your calories later versus earlier. So it almost like, flipped on his head from how people tr- traditionally fast. Like if you were going to look at like the health benefits would probably make sense to like partition more of your calories towards the morning and like have your fasting period later in the day. But um, yeah, I think that's really all I had on that. Yeah. So from an adherence standpoint, that gets hard. Agreed. Like, like optimally that makes sense, right? Eating more in the earlier part of the day, less in the later part of the day, but adherence wise that gets hard for the majority of people but I totally understand what you're saying. So what's your final answer then? Overrated or underrated? If you had to choose one. Uh, overrated. I would overrated. say also, like, I don't have any, what I just laid out there. Yeah, it's probably the most optimal, but also realize, and this is always something I like have to make clear to clients because it is a little bit too easy to even like, because of shit that we talk about to like get too in the weeds to yeah. where, um, and this is something I've been trying to get more and more aware of, but like, I don't actually have anyone eat like that <laughs> because you're, it's the same. Like it's not realistic for like, even like the coaches, like all the coaches we work with is still like, yeah, I like to eat more calories at night. And it's like, yeah. hey, this is still like, we can make this seem like, because it is like basically what we thought flipped on his head. Um, we can make this seem like a huge deal, but it still is like such a tiny minute factor that it's not something that we're getting caught up in. But in 100%. conclusion, I we can't, overrated overrated all right so fasting is overrated people what about the smith machine overrated or underrated you go first i went first on the last one vastly underrated underrated oh yeah i think the smith machine gets way too much hate for and i I mean i was like that for a long time i was like smith machine it's just good for holding towels or some shit like that like right which is the kind of the same mindset as like Everyone needs to just do um, barbell back squat, bench press, 
barbell deadlift, barbell overhead press, right? And that's the key to getting jacked. It depends on the population. But like from a hypertrophy perspective, I would say in a lot of cases, the Smith machine is probably gonna be superior than, like if we're looking at, okay, how can I apply a ton of tension in one specific tissue? So like if we're looking at a back squat, let's say like a heel elevated back squat versus a heel elevated Smith machine, like a high bar Smith machine squat, which is something I program like relatively frequently. If someone does the Smith machine. Yeah. Like a, like a Smith machine back squat. Yep. Um, because again, it like, it has less stability requirements. So Mm -hmm. thus it's easier for us to make like the quads, the rate limiter. Right. Um, so like if we look at those two boomers from a hypertrophy perspective, a lot of people would like, hey, if I want to build more jacked quads and I don't have like a hack squat available, a lot of people would probably do better with a Smith machine versus a like barbell back squat. But also a lot of people just like have such a strong bias against like a Smith machine squat where again, it's just easier to make the target muscle the rate limiter. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. I would say really like still there's other machines that I think typically do a better job than the Smith machine does. But I think that it's a decent alternative for the lack of like, Hey, if I had just have, which is pretty common, like, Hey, I have barbells, cables, dumbbells, Smith machine. Right. Then we're probably going to work some of that in in favor of like, again, like maybe your back squat doesn't feel the best or you just like most people, you just feel exhausted or maybe it is your back a bit more. Like we can play with positioning more. We can do all these things to again, like, try to create tension on one specific muscle. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. I would actually agree 100%. I think that it's underrated too. I think that the fitness world and even the evidence-based world got so pushed towards back squat, bench, bench press, and deadlift like with traditional barbell for such a long period of time that um, we kind of forgot that at least when it comes to a hypertrophy aspect of training, that we want the limiting factor to be the muscle that we're training and not like our stability or our balance or anything like that. Right. And so from that aspect, just like you said, I would agree 100% that you can bias like the quads or you could bias the glutes and make sure that the muscle group is the limiting factor to that lift on when you have to quit the lift over stability with something like a uh, Smith machine that takes the stability component out of the exercise. And so I would agree 100%. And, and again, like it comes with context. If you have a an overall goal of just pure strength, like to get stronger at a barbell squat or a deadlift or something like that, then it's going to be massively overrated. But like, if you have a goal of looking better, feeling better, um, and improving in that sense, hypertrophy wise, I think that it's a, a very underrated tool in a lot of different aspects. Like I see guys like Mike Isertel, he uses a barbell back squat all the time in terms of his training. You see it coming back around. I feel like, yeah, like a lot of people are, what'd you say? He uses a Smith machine squat a lot is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Isertel uses the Smith machine um, all the time in his training for like a back squat. Um, Yeah. Like I said, I think that it's starting to come back around. A lot of people, I feel like N1 nutrition or not N1 nutrition, N1 education and like Paul Carter and some of those guys are starting to, I don't know, just bring it up more often and bring more awareness to like proper exercise selection when it comes to hypertrophy training and getting away from focusing so much on just like a barbell bench, barbell deadlift, barbell squat, things like that. And so I think you see it coming around a lot more now, but I would, I would agree. I would say it's massively underrated. Yeah, no, for sure. I would say the movements I program most for with the Smith machine, I really like 
a deficit Smith machine reverse lunge. A very oh, good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a hip thrust. A Smith machine. I like the hip thrust, thrust on the Smith machine. I program that a lot. Do you have any clients that work out in like a Planet Fitness? Yeah, a couple. Do you I have a lot where like that's their second gym? Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes they just go to Planet Fitness and like some form videos are in Planet Fitness, some aren't. But I, I feel like there's a couple, or like I have some clients where like, they could have a home gym and then they have Planet Fitness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same um, with me. I have a decent, not a lot, but I have a, a few. So, I mean, there they don't have heavy like Olympic bars. Right. So you have to get creative and, and learn how to use the Smith machines a lot. And I would say like their training programs don't create any less results than somebody's program that has them training with a barbell. You know what I mean? Like you can still make it work. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Cool. What do you got next? Walking is walking overrated or underrated. Take it away. <laughs> I would say that it's mass, massively underrated too. When, whenever I'm working with clients, a lot of the times when we start and somebody's got a fat loss goal, let's say, we'll set them up on a training program that's three or four days per week of strength training essentially. And then I'll just um, program them 8,000, even 6,000 to 8,000 steps for the majority. Some people, if they have a little bit more of an active job, I'll program them like 10,000, maybe 12,000 steps, maybe that high. But for the majority of people, they'll see, not the majority of people, but some people will see that and be like, well, where's the cardio? How right. much cardio am I supposed to be doing to drop body fat? It's like, no, just focus on hitting the step goal every single day. You don't realize if you can keep your step goal consistently high and stay active, like you're going to burn a considerable amount of calories just from walking every single day. But I would say even more importantly than that, and one thing that I've found from walking, because I've got mad consistent with this. We were doing this as a part of the, the 90 days that we were doing in terms of having to do a mile walk every single day. And I haven't missed a single day with the mile walk. And more importantly than, yeah, it's helped me burn more calories, which has made it a lot easier to maintain my body weight and where I'm at there. Um, But just the mental aspect of it, of getting outside and going for a walk to listen to a podcast, or sometimes I'll even go if like I'm in my head and it's been a busy day and I feel kind of stressed, I'll leave the headphones out, I'll leave the phone home and I'll just literally go for a walk for a mile around the, the neighborhood. And like I get home, I always feel so much better after the walk than I did before the walk. And so, yeah, not only the physical benefits of it, of just allowing you to burn more calories more consistently over the long term, um, that mental aspect is huge. So I would say that walking is massively underrated. If you're always focused on HIIT workouts or doing more strength training or whatever it may be, I would say if you're not tracking your steps and aiming for at least 8,000 steps per day, that's one thing that's not only going to help your, your physical results, but put you in a much better position mentally just to handle some of that stress management to put you in a better position all around in my opinion i say underrated as well dude i think that that's such a good point you touched on like people consider uh, when we look at the energy balance equation for fat loss like i think it's one of the biggest things people for you to account for is just like how much am i moving outside of my training on a day-to-day basis right Mm -hmm. because like a lot of times you'll have like I know most of our nutrition clients that, and most people have Apple watches, but interestingly, a lot of people don't look at their step count before yeah. like start coaching. A lot of our, of our clients will have like, Hey, I've been consistently hitting this nutrition target. And then like, Hey, okay. So like that's the calories inside of the equation. So again, like calories in must be less than calories out to lose fat. Of course we can make it more complex than that, but like at the most foundational level, right? So you are pretty strict already with your macros, which you're not losing. What's like your daily movement like? I don't know, like, okay, do you track steps? And then we'll see, like, there's just huge variances, right? Like, from day to day. So then it's like, we're 
doing, we're putting in the same input nutritionally, like the same amount of calories are coming in. We're expecting it to yield this consistent result when calories out are all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So it's another thing like for fat loss is tracking steps. And as you said, like hitting a step goal is something that I think is so wildly underrated. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, and I don't know how this is for you, but like pretty rarely for fat loss, will I program any type of cardio outside of like, maybe like if someone wants extra, like, Hey, you're going to walk on an incline, but that's still going to stop count towards your step total. But let's add like 20 to 30 minutes here. Right. Uh, they ask for it is the only time that I'll do it. Like I won't program it just inherently. They have to ask for it and want it. Same, same here. Like, but if it's for like health, like, okay. Um, like I think one client I'm working with right now who's like coming back from, um, should be cancer. And then like, but right now, like her aerobic system is relatively weak. So we're like building up her aerobic base a bit just so she can like feel normal there. And so that's like a different context, but like sure. for fat loss, I, I think it's wildly over, uh, underrated. I would agree 100%, man. That's a good point to touch on too, um, that I'll just quickly finish that off with is if you're hitting your nutrition targets consistently, if you are getting your workouts in consistently and you're not seeing progress as linearly as you want to, which is never going to be linear, right? But if you're not seeing consistent progress over the long term, like you want it to, if one day you're getting 2000 steps, another day you're getting 10,000 steps, another day you're getting 3000 steps and it's all over the board before you go adjusting your nutrition or before you go adjusting your training in any, any sort of a way, just simply decrease or simply get more consistent with your step goal and aim for that 8,000 minimum per day, you're going to create a a bigger energy expenditure, which is going to potentially create a bigger deficit, which is is this getting loud? Did my voice just get a lot louder? Oh, it just did on my end for some reason. But anyway, what I was saying, you'll get more consistent with your energy expenditure, um, which will create a more consistent deficit, which will push along progress without you having to increase the amount of workouts per week or decrease the amount of calories that you're consuming, which will make it a whole lot easier. No, no, absolutely. And that's even like, even if it isn't like you can't push it super high, just make sure it's consistent. Because again, like if one side of that equation is all over the place, you can't expect a specific number of calories to yield the same result all the time. Right. But I think, I think that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. We've got another one. Um, Burpees are burpees underrated or overrated? Overrated. Uh, Dumbass movement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Really, though, genuinely, I think that, like, it's not going to be that great for burning fat. It's kind of like doing, to a lesser extent, it's almost like, hey, I'm going to do Olympic lifts to try to burn fat, right? Like, very technical, very easy to, relatively easy to hurt yourself with because you don't actually burn that many calories. It's an easy way to, like, exhaust yourself super quickly. But, I mean, even, like, Okay, imagine doing 10 burpees at an all-out effort, right? Like, the amount of calories that you would do, and, it, like, after that, you probably – I don't actually know how many burpees people do. I feel like I would probably be exhausted. From seeing what it's like to run a mile, I would probably be exhausted after doing 10 explosive burpees, right? Um, you just don't burn that many calories doing them. Whereas, like, if the goal here is to burn as many calories as possible, like, if you're doing it for fat loss, it would make much more sense to, like, and, like, hey, I'm just going to – walk at a decent heart rate on an incline or like hop on the rower because you can sustain it for longer. Whereas like the amount of calories you could burn with like 20 minutes of burpees, if you could do 20 minutes of burpees straight, kudos to you. Like, but you would also probably be smashed and you wouldn't be able to repeat that. Whereas again, like even if it's like, Hey, let's set a step goal, that's like 3000 steps higher than before. 
like you'd be able to be so much more consistent with that that across the course of a week for fat loss you would be able to knock out a bunch large a much larger chunk of the calories i agree 100 percent I never really thought about it from that aspect. That's a very smart way to look at it just in terms of like a sustainability factor. Um, but the only, the only time that I've thought of times where I have programmed burpees in the past, and it's usually for people who just want that feeling of feeling yeah. exhausted at the end of their workout, right? Is it, is it the piece of the workout that's going to be the most effective, that's going to allow you to burn the most amount of body fat to have you looking the way that you want to look? Absolutely not. But like, if you're that person that keeps saying like, these workouts are just too easy. These workouts are too easy. I need something that's a little bit harder. It's like, okay, I'm going to program you a, a five minute EMOM with 10 burpees for right. like at the end of your workout, just for you to leave feeling like, uh, like my, my brain is drained. My body is drained. Like I feel good. And if that's, what's going to keep you coming back, I'll absolutely program it in that way for you. But I'm not programming it in a way that's like, this is what's going to get you the result that you want is because we're doing burpees and you're going to burn a whole bunch of calories from doing them. But just as you said, like from a, um, from that aspect, they are extremely overrated. I hate doing burpees too, dude. I, I freaking hate burpees. I don't, I think I've only ever done burpees once in my life. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We would do them. So like I, when I was younger, I would coach, um, I coached the JV baseball team at my old high school for a couple of years. Um, that was probably like seven or eight years ago. Me and my little brother did it together. And yeah. the, for conditioning at the end of the day, like with those young kids, like you would just kind of, you'd almost want to torture them in a way like that just to help them get mentally stronger. You right. know what I mean? But like, you can't expect them to do all that and then not be there doing it with them, especially when we're a bunch of young kids too. Like I was only like five or six years years older than the kids that I was coaching. And so we would do the burpees with them a lot of the times. And I absolutely hated doing that. <laughs> so like mental toughness, it's a good thing because it's just something you have to do that absolutely sucks. But like from an application standpoint to create a result, definitely very overrated. That's a good point though, too. Like, I feel like that is even like CrossFit as a whole, there's a lot of things you could shit on it for but like just understand why you were doing it like i would not say like hey no one should do burpees no matter what right like if it is like i love crossfit because of the way it pushes me mentally and like these burpees are fuck man those are hard but like you know like there's something to be said for coming out on the other side of that knowing you push yourself through it so i think again i can't say like hey no one should ever do it just understand why you're doing it i think it's the most important thing 100 percent, i agree the next one is deadlifts overrated or underrated what type of deadlifts are we talking here? I was going to say that same thing. We'll just say like a traditional, a traditional barbell deadlift. Did I, I, I answered the last one first, right? I take it away. You might've, I would say again, it's all application at the end of the day. If man, it, it's a hard one because it honestly, it can go both ways depending on the context of the person that you're trying to help from an hypertrophy aspect. I would say that deadlifts are massively overrated. So to give a little bit of context to this, like if I'm in a situation where I'm training to build strength and I'm working out more for the mental aspect of it and, and enjoying training and like to get stronger and whatnot, I like to include deadlifts. I'll do a lot of deadlifting during that time. But like right now, my goals have shifted a little bit and I'm just focused purely on hypertrophy. I just want to be building as much muscle as possible. When that's my goal, deadlifts aren't in my program. A traditional barbell deadlift isn't something that I have in my program because like I said, from a hypertrophy standpoint, it's not that beneficial in my opinion. So from that standpoint, I would definitely say that they are overrated if you're doing them in the sense of trying to 
improve your body composition, if that makes sense. Sure, dude. I'd agree. I think wildly overrated. And I just feel like everyone feels like they have to deadlift. Yeah. Whereas if you're not, you don't have powerlifting aspirations or you don't have a goal of like, I'm going to, I want to be able to straight bar deadlift as much off of off of the floor even like if you do have like hey i want to i want to get a lot stronger and i want to do a specific about it i got a deadlifting pattern for most people it makes sense to do like let's do a trap bar deadlift right mm-hmm. or something of that nature but um definitely from my average perspective too like it comes down to the stimulus to fatigue ratio like deadlifts are probably one of the single most fatiguing movements you can do and we only have like so much we have like this gas tank of fatigue that we have. And like, once we deplete that tank, we only have like so many fatigue resources to spend. Now again, like I also don't want to get it twisted. Do most people like, I just absolutely train way too hard all the time. And that's why I can't make progress. Some people, but pr- probably not most people. So again, I get this probably needs to have some context too. But again, when we're looking at like, after you do a set of, after you do like a uh, four sets of, like a four by three or a four by five of heavy deadlifts, you're absolutely smashed. That said, like it's not that great of a stimulus for your hamstrings or your glutes or your lats. And probably it's a great stimulus for your spine, right? Like a lot of people's spines are their backs are just gonna feel wrecked afterwards, but not like, man, that really like my lat pump is crazy. It's like, man, my spine hurts right now. Um, but on the flip side, but again, like the stimulus we're getting for all that fatigue that we've created, like it just doesn't have the components of a, like if we we're going to do a movement for hip extension to focus on the hamstrings, we would probably want that to be something that creates like a massive stretch at the bottom of the hamstrings. And like, it has a big, like slow controlled negative, right? Which it, deadlift doesn't have. And if you are if you're trying to do that with like a 315 or like 405 deadlift, you're going to just fuck up your back. Right. Mm-hmm. And thing for lats is basically like an isometric contraction, which we know isn't going to really do much for hypertrophy either. Um, and we can make similar arguments for the glutes, right? So again, like people are spending like so much energy on deadlifts where it's like, hey, if we plugged in a Romanian deadlift here, for example, again, we could use lighter load, less fatiguing, a lot better stimulus for your hamstrings. Like let's do a Romanian deadlift and like a hip thrust instead or something of that nature. It just makes so much more sense. Um, I'll say most of our clients, we have a couple, I do work with a couple clients right now that are like doing a power building style of training. And that's, that's fun to do. That is fun to like plan all these things around. Um, but most of our clients, because they're mostly focused on aesthetics, most don't do like a barbell deadlift from the floor. Um, mostly like a Romanian deadlift, a trap bar Romanian deadlift, um, different variations like that typically make much more sense again for aesthetic goals. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I'll, I'll program deadlifts if if deadlifts are something that gets somebody excited to go into the gym to do and like it keeps you coming back. Then obviously we're going to put it in there because a big component to training is enjoying it so that you can stay consistent with it over the long term, right? And so if that's the case, I'll definitely include it. If that's not the case and you're just deadlifting for the sake of deadlifting, then I would say you're not necessarily shooting yourself in the foot, but you're just expending energy there where you could be spending it more productively somewhere else, which is basically what you said. So I'd agree 100%. Like we talked about like, Hey, you could do this and like shoot your, or like expend a ton of energy super quickly for not that much in return, or we could like take it a different approach where that is less fatiguing. You'll probably get more out of 100%. I agree, man. I got one more, which is I'm interested to get 
your take on this too, which is counting macros. Is counting macros underrated or overrated? I would say appropriately rated. Overrated? Uh, appropriately rated. Appropriately neither, rated. Either underrated or overrated. Um, I think that some people, I think people push. I, it goes both ways, dude. I don't think the macro, tracking macros is the only way to do things. Um, I will say like our clients, everyone tracks at least calories and protein just because like that's the, what we built so many of our systems around. Like we like to see all the data. Most of our clients track macros and I would say like 20% track calories and protein at the very least. That's probably but, that exact flip. So like 80% count calories and protein, 20% track macros. But I mean, part of that too, very similar, like you talking at the start of this of like who you enjoy working with the most, right? And like the mindset side of things. That's very much like something that I've very intentionally done because like, listen, if I, I one, I can fully appreciate that for some people tracking macro just isn't their jam. For some people, it genuinely is like a thing where like I can't have a super healthy relationship with all the numbers, things of that nature. And for some people, it's just like not, Oh, the jam, and that's okay. But I'm absolutely not the person that's best suited to help you if that is you, sure. or if you don't, if you don't want to track macros. Like again, we're probably not quite like I can direct you to a coach who I think would probably be the best fit. But we're probably not quite like in alignment with like what we're probably not going to be the best fit to work together. Um, sure. So one, I can I think that absolutely for some people. It's definitely not the end of the year. Like everyone needs to track macros. So, and I want to make sure like we talk about macros a lot, but I want to make sure that's clear. It's just like, that's who we enjoy working with most. So we can like do all this nerdy shit. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not the only way to go on the flip side. I think that people do push back against macros too much. or like tracking macros is OCD or like, um, creates unhealthy relationships with food and all this stuff. Whereas really what I found is for most people, if you haven't tracked and you start tracking, it actually gives people so much more food freedom because people understand like there's not these good foods or bad foods, right? That's basically like I have this calorie budget across the course of the day. Now again, like eating mostly whole foods is probably a good idea for your health, but like I have this calorie budget across the course of the day and I can like, there's nothing that I don't have to restrict myself to all these. And then for most people that typically like understanding that I can make whatever like work in here. I don't have to be scared of this anymore. I think it actually typically really much, very much improves people's relationship with food, um, which is one of the reasons people kind of push back against it. And then very similarly to like, just because this is a tangent I've been on lately, like I know I posted about this yesterday. Like I think some people because are so opposed to like doing things super strictly, like weighing foods or tracking macros, that they literally never like do it well enough to actually get leaner so people will literally spend years always feeling like they're dieting always feeling like shit but just like dipping in and out of the calorie deficit people literally spend years dieting and feeling terrible because they don't want to do like the like unhealthy thing of like tracking macros or like being too ocd about it or anything like that and it's like really which is which of these is actually like the greater of two evils, right? It's, it's just it's just an interesting viewpoint. Um, that's a different tangent that I've just been. I agree, though. I, I saw your post on that. I think you hit that one home. People want to give like a 60 to 
50 to 70% effort when in reality, if they would just give like a 85 to 95% effort for a longer period of time or like for a shorter period of time, they would get to where they're wanting to go a, a whole lot quicker and they wouldn't have all the mental fatigue from it. Sure. For sure. And that's, that's like such a, like people, again, like no matter what, if you're tracking macros, like, and again, like, I don't want to say this is the only way to do it. Cause like, for example, I just signed up two clients the other day who were like, Hey, like, honestly, like all the measuring, all the, like, that's not really our jam. I really don't want to do that. And so basically I just laid out like, listen, like, it's okay. Here's the trade-offs that you're making. Progress will probably be slower. Um, at the start, we can very much focus on these habits. I'm not going to bullshit you and say that you couldn't get quicker progress if you measured absolutely everything, but like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with the trade-offs and like potentially in the future, we might have to measure more accurately. Like, yeah, for sure. Like I get it, but this is like where I'm at now. So like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know, that's like on you as an individual to weigh, but you do see so many people that are like doing the work of already plugging in most of their food for the day. Like doing the, always feeling like they're dieting, like no matter what it's like, <laughs> dieting isn't fun, right? So if you're going to be in this, if you're already doing most of the work of plugging in most of your food, if you're already going to feel like you're dieting either way, already going to feel like you can't eat as much as you want either way, why not just do that extra like 10 to 20% and just get the diet done literally months earlier and then be done dieting. It's just an, I just feel like it's a perspective that people need to see or way off topic from overrated or underrated. So in conclusion, I would say appropriately rated. I like that. I feel like that's cheating, but I'll take it. <laughs> For myself, again, it like in my situation and my experience and the people that I work with, I would honestly, seeing it from, from my perception, I would say that it's overrated because uh, from this viewpoint, from this perspective, is that a lot of people, when you're just getting into learning about the evidence-based side of nutrition, right? Calories in versus calories out, understanding energy balance, understanding macronutrients, how they affect your body. People dive in and think that they need to start out by tracking all of their macros from the get, right? And there's a gradual increase to where it definitely makes sense to start tracking macros. Like if you're all in on your body composition, if you are wanting to get to low levels of, of body fat levels, different things like that, controlling um, like performance in terms of your training, different things like that. It can get more and more important to track macros. Like we've talked, I think we talked about this on our last episode. Like I have people get, that are getting ready for photo shoots. I have some clients that are training for Ironmans, different things like this to where it's a little bit more important to be tracking proteins, carbs, and fats, right? But those are more advanced individuals that have been doing this for a long time somebody comes to me and they haven't really ever created the result that they want to in the past, they've been trying to track all their macros and they're, they're never able to be real consistent with it. Well, that person, I'll start them out and say, Hey, we're not going to worry about where your carbs and your fats fall. I just want you to focus on hitting your caloric intake, hitting this protein intake to start and see how your body starts to respond. And when we do that, we're, we're setting ranges too. So like we have a hundred calorie range within their caloric intake, maybe a 20 gram range within their protein intake. And we just focus on hitting those two main pillars. Calories are going to control weight gain, weight loss. Protein is going to allow you to at least at the very least sustain lean muscle tissue. It's going to keep you fuller for a longer period of time. And for those people who have been spinning their wheels, trying to track all their macros, one, it allows you to be more consistent because you're not playing this Tetris game with your carbs and your fats, right? Like, oh shit, well, I've got 20 carbs left and five grams of fat left. Like, what am I supposed to eat to finish off the day? Instead, if you just look at that and be like, I've got 150 calories left or, or 
hundred calories left in that situation. Like, let me just fill up that hundred calories because I've already hit my protein goal and you're not stressed about those little tiny, the minutia, if that makes sense at the end of the day. And so, um, for the majority of like the general population, my personal opinion would be that counting all of your macros is a bit overrated and you could create just as good of results to be in a body composition that you're comfortable in, you feel confident in with just tracking your caloric intake and your protein intake. It's when you want to take things to that next level, maybe like get on a stage, maybe do a photo shoot, maybe like optimize your performance for specific goals, then adding in fats and carbs starts to make more sense, but not until you've mastered the basics of calories and protein first. For sure. And I, I 100% agree. I think it's just very much like more than anything, like who we're speaking to as our clients, yep. right? Like I would say right now, probably like 50% of my clients have either within the last year done a photo shoot or we're prepping. I feel like I have a shit ton of clients that are prepping for photo shoots right now too. So it's kind of just like, a, but I agree. Like if that's not like, if you're not a dude that, Hey, I'm going to get below 10% body fat or, and even then we could argue like, like on the flip side, I'll say like, what a client just yesterday, he was tracking macros and we dialed it back to protein and calories one because like no matter what like he's in a pretty aggressive diet i know that things aren't he was stressing like okay my macro ranges are like plus or minus so basically i'll do like okay you have 150 to 170 grams of carbs 50 to 70 grams of fat or 50 to 60 grams of fat whatever right he's like three to five grams off of those ranges so he's feeling like he's failing right now the thing there is like no matter what he's not going to change how like we've worked together for a good amount of time he's not going to change how much um like he's not going to change his food choices so drastically that it's like, oh shit, all of a sudden now that we're just tracking calories and protein, you're in keto, right? Like it's not going to change much, but like for him, we cut that out because it's going to be lift a big mental load off of him because he was stressing about that. And it's like, man, like hitting calories and protein does sound like a lot easier for me. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think that it is again, just like how far into the weeds you want to go. Um, yeah, I think that that's, pretty good summary of it cool i think that wraps it up dude that's all of them nope dude all right well as always thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you guys next time